wanted to start this morning by asking you guys a question. Um, and the question I want to ask is, what is it that makes you, you? What is it that makes you unique and different from everybody else? Um, many of you will know that my wife, Rosie, uh, is an identical twin. So um, here's a picture for, the, for you of the two of them when they were little. If that can come up, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Pretty cute, aren't they? Yeah. I guess, don't know exactly, but I guess they're probably about three-ish or something like that then. So it is great. And I have to be honest and say, I don't know about you guys, but looking at that picture, I would have a pretty hard time telling which one was Rosie and which one was her sister, Fliss. Um, you can imagine my nervousness the first time that I met her um, as to getting the two of them mixed up. You know, but it's not surprising when you, you stop and think about what it means to be an identical twin. Um, you know, it's actually what it means is, is pretty incredible because Rosie and her sister, it means they are genetically identical. It means that if you took a strand of Rosie's DNA and a strand of her sister's DNA, that there would be absolutely no difference between the two. Genetically, they're the same. And so it would be near impossible to find two people who are more alike than they are at the moment that they were born. Why don't we have a quick look at a picture of them more recently together? Here we go. So, Rosie and her sister, a little bit more recently. Still pretty obvious that they're sisters. Still pretty obvious that they're probably twins. They look very similar. But at least to the well-trained eye, (laughs) you can tell which one is which. And it's not so difficult to tell them apart. You know, they're similar, but at the same time, there are some clear differences. And those differences don't just stop with their appearance. You know, despite being genetically identical, they've got different characters, different personalities, different likes, different dislikes. Um, You know, they they began with the same genetic code. They were brought up in the same family. They went to the same school. They shared so many different things. And yet, despite all of that, each one of them is unique. They're radically different people. So why do you think that is? What is it that makes them them? What is it that makes you you? And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of different answers that we could probably come up with and talk about, but I want us to watch a quick video which I think hits on um, probably one of the most important ones of all. So why don't we watch it together? Life is a series of moments, some good moments, some not so good, some quick, some drawn out. There are moments that are surprising or expected, some that are intense or relaxing. There are moments that you want to remember forever and some that you can't wait to forget. There are moments that you want everyone to hear about and others that, well, you'd rather not speak of. Life is a series of moments. And most of the time, through most of the moments of life, we aren't deeply impacted. But then there are those other moments, when we are confronted with a situation that is life-altering, life-changing, when we know that because of this moment, we will never be the same again. These are the moments that define us, that shape our future, 
and become the story of our past. We all have defining moments. When will your next one be? Today? Tomorrow? Now? How will you respond? What will you do? Each and every one of us is, um, is unique, even if we go down to people who are genetically identical. And one of the key reasons I think that we are, each one of us is unique is because of the defining moments that we have in our lives. You know, the experiences that we've been through which are unique, but not only that, when we share experiences, our own unique response to those experiences. You know, and if you think back through your life, I'm sure you could probably all identify um, some key defining moments that have shaped who you are today and have shaped the way that you approach things and the way you think about things and have changed everything for you. You know, there will have been some defining moments probably for you in your childhood, some defining moments at school, some defining moments in your relationships, uh, maybe with your parents or with your friends, some defining moments in your marriage or um, with your own children, defining moments as you struggle with how you're going to handle your finances, Defining moments as you make decisions about what it is that you believe is right and wrong and what it is that you're going to look to in life for happiness. Now, defining moments are those moments in our lives when we come face to face with truth. When we have a fresh realization or when we make a decision or when we go through an experience that shapes us and forms us. And these defining moments, they become almost like a lens through which we then see every other experience and every other situation and every other thing that we face within our lives and how we understand them and we make sense of them and we relate to them. These defining moments, they change everything. And this morning we're going to start a new series and we're looking together at some of the key life-defining moments in different individuals' lives. But what all of these different um, defining moments have in common is that each and every one of them comes out of an encounter with Jesus. And so that's what we're calling this new series. We're calling it Encounters with Jesus. And the reason that I believe that an encounter with Jesus is always a defining moment is because when we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. You know, when we encounter Jesus, our eyes are open to see life through a different lens. You see, when Jesus came into this world, it wasn't simply just to to die in our place. But it was also to open our eyes to truth. To show us something of who God is. And how it is that we can have a relationship with him. So all through his life, when Jesus encounters people, he opens their eyes. He opens their eyes and gives them a new lens through which they can understand themselves. A new lens through which they can see God and understand who God is. A new lens through which they can make sense of their lives and start to understand everything that is going on around them. And these encounters with Jesus and the way that people respond to them become defining moments in each and every person's life. So today we're going to look at one of these together, one of the person's defining moment, personal encounter with Jesus just over 2,000 years ago. And, and as we go through the rest of this series, you know, my hope and my prayer is that you likewise will encounter Jesus for yourself. That you will encounter Jesus and you will have defining moments which give you a new lens, a new way of understanding who you are and who God is and how you can relate to him and what it is that he has for you in this life. You know, this morning we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had um, with a woman at a well. You know, it's a story that will already be familiar to to many of you. Um, But whether you've come across this encounter before or not, I want to encourage you to try and approach it with fresh eyes 
and to see it in a new way. And one of the things that I think makes um, this encounter with Jesus so, so powerful um, is actually the background as to, uh, as to what it is that's, that's happening. We can hold off on that for a second. That would be great so then people don't start reading and they keep listening. Um, superb. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that makes this so powerful in an encounter, I think, is, is the background behind it uh, and what it is that uh, is the situation behind what's happening. You see, the, the woman at the well uh, was a Samaritan woman. And that probably doesn't mean anything really to, to you or to me, does it? Uh, what does it matter that she's a Samaritan woman? But to, to Jesus and to his Jewish friends, that was a big deal. You know, and the, and the reason it was a big deal was because back in about 720 BC, there was a king uh, in Assyria called Sargon, and he came along and he conquered this area in northern Israel. And he exiled a bunch of the Jews, and he took them out and put them in different countries, and he brought people from all these other different countries and put them in where these Jewish people used to be. And what happened over time is that these people from other countries and the Jews who were still there, they started to intermarry, and they became a mixed race, and they stopped being known as, as the Jews anymore and became known as the Samaritans. And the Jews then that, that lived in the other parts of Israel, down in the south, they looked at what it was that was going on here and how they were intermarrying and all that this was, was happening. And they thought it was absolutely despicable. They couldn't stand it. And so when these Samaritans said, well, we want to come down and worship at the temple and come and know God again at the temple in Jerusalem, they said, no chance. We don't want anything to do with you. You're not coming in here. And the Jews then that lived in, in, in this northern part, these Samaritans, they felt hurt. They felt rejected, they felt pushed away, they felt angry. And so they turn away from the Jews and they decide they're going to build their own temple in a place called Mount Gerizim. And this creates basically, it's the beginning of this horrendous spiral between these two different people as they, they grow in hatred with one another, as they want nothing to do with one another. It comes to a place where they just want to avoid each other at all costs. You know, it became so bad that the Jews, they wouldn't even travel through Samaria. If they needed to get from Jerusalem in the south of Israel, and they wanted to go to Galilee in the north of Israel, that actually they would take a long detour and go around Samaria rather than risk having ever to talk to a Samaritan or come across one. So a Jew by choice would have nothing to do with a Samaritan. You know, but this encounter between Jesus the Jew and this Samaritan woman isn't just shocking because she's a Samaritan. This encounter is shocking simply because she's a woman. You see, Jesus was a, a Jewish rabbi. He was a religious teacher. And, and a Jewish rabbi, you know, for, for a Jewish rabbi to interact with a woman in public was, was just unheard of. Um, it, it was one of those things that you just didn't do. It was forbidden um, in, in kind of his time. So some rabbis felt so strongly about this that they wouldn't even talk to their own wife or their own daughters in public. They thought, you know, it's just so important that we don't talk to women or have anything to do with women in, in a public place. And there was even a group of Pharisees, and it's, it might seem a little bit hard to believe, but it's true. There was a group of Pharisees who were known as the blind Pharisees who became nicknamed as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And, and they got the name from the fact that if women were around, they would want to avoid them so badly that they would close their eyes, they would walk in the opposite direction, and they would just go around bumping into walls and hitting things because they were so keen to avoid having anything to do with a woman, they didn't even want to look her in the eye. So they were bruised and bleeding, quite literally. You know, so when Jesus, who is known as a Jewish rabbi, stops in a public place at a well and has an encounter with a woman who is a Samaritan, he is putting everything on the line. He risks everything, his reputation, his credibility, his acceptance by the Jewish people, all of it is put on the table, just so that he can have a meeting with this woman. 
You know, and if that wasn't enough, this isn't just any woman. It's a woman with a past. It's a woman who's been married not just once or twice, not just three times or four times, but she's been married five different times. And, you know, that would be pretty unusual for us to meet someone who's been married five times today, wouldn't it? But if you think back to Jesus' day in his culture, it would have been completely unheard of. And not only had she been married five times, but she was now with another bloke who wasn't even a husband. And the sad reality that this is, is that this is not just any woman, but this is a woman who has absolutely no standing in society, who faces rejection and has experienced rejection again and again. Because you see, in, in, in her day, a woman had no right to, to divorce or to separate herself from a man. Only a man could, could divorce somebody. So for her to have gone through five different husbands means that she's faced personal rejection five times from five different men. And yet she keeps going back to another one, and another one, and another one, as she desperately tries to meet that need within her, and to find that acceptance and that love from a man in her life. But it's not only a rejection by individuals, it becomes a rejection by a whole society. You know, when she encounters Jesus at the well, it's about noon. So it's the, it's the heat of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. And normally, um, women would come and they would collect the water from the well and they would fetch the water at the times when it was coolest. So usually first thing in the morning, possibly at night, but usually first thing in the morning. And they'd also do it all together as a group. It's a great time for them to, to come together, to chat and to share the latest gossip. But it also meant that there was some sense of protection, um, that they, you know, they, there was a bit of safety in numbers as they went. So... This woman then chooses instead to come to the well and to collect the water at noon. In the hottest part of the day, to have to carry the weight of the water upon her shoulders at the hottest part of the day when it's going to be the least comfortable. And she does all of that, and she does it alone. I think the reason she does it is simply so she doesn't have to face the jibes and the comments and the sniggers of the other women as they gossip around her about her situation. Can you imagine the issues that this woman must be carrying? what it must have done for her self-esteem and her confidence. As she goes from one man to another facing rejection, but still having that empty need, that hunger within her heart to be accepted by somebody. You know, we might not know an awful lot about this woman, but I think it's safe to say that this was a woman who was searching. A woman who was searching for a sense of dignity and acceptance and unconditional love. Now, and I wanted you to understand something of the background of this woman and of this encounter with Jesus. Because when we understand what's really going on here and when we try and put ourselves in her shoes and understand uh, how she's this hurting woman longing for something, then suddenly this isn't just a story that we read about. You know, we know at the, um, at the point this woman comes to the well, Jesus has already sent his followers off into town to get some food. And so you can imagine as this woman approaches the well, she sees this group of guys coming towards her. And as they get closer, she realizes it's a group of Jews. And you can imagine her thinking through her head, what are these Jews doing in Samaria? Jews don't come here. And But, you know, there there would be no eye contact as she passes by. There would be no nice hellos or offers to help with what it is that she's carrying. There would just be an ignoring of the woman as the the Jews try and kind of cast their eyes away and, and just walk past. They want nothing to do with this Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. Then as she approaches the well, she sees a lone figure sat there, and it's another Jewish man. It's a rabbi. And you can imagine her thinking, oh, great. I've come out in the heat of the day just so I can be alone. And what am I going to face? Another bloke who sits there and ignores me, who pretends that doesn't exist. Another rejection. 
You see, this is an encounter that by every rule of the culture of their day should never, ever have happened. And so little did this woman expect or know that she was moments away from an encounter with Jesus that would change everything. And it wasn't a chance encounter. You know, Jesus had gone out of his way. He's ignored the cultural norm. He traveled through Samaria, a place he should never go. And he puts his reputation on the line and he, he breaks down every cultural rule just so he can meet with this woman. Now, I don't know what your own thinking is of, about God. You know, but I believe this encounter gives us an amazing insight into how, how God views each and every one of us. In particular, I think it gives us an amazing insight into how God views people who are longing for something to satisfy them, have this need within them. You know, but it speaks to us about God's love and his care. It speaks to us about how he is willing to go out of his way to draw close to you. How he will do whatever it takes to make a relationship with you possible. And for you to be able to discover the fullness of life that he has for you. So, now we understand something of who this woman is and why it's such a significant encounter and how Jesus puts his whole reputation on the line. That We, we can read it now. I'll let you. And um, we can see what the rest of the story says. So it's in John chapter 4. You can follow it along on the screen or look it up in your Bibles, whichever you prefer. Um, but I'll read it out and let you follow along. This is what it says. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and what it is and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and their livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Now, when you understand something of the background of this encounter, and then you see that it's Jesus who takes the initiative. It's Jesus who begins the conversation and starts to talk to this woman. And not only does he do that, but he asks her for a drink. And and by that, he's showing that he he doesn't see her as someone to keep at arm's length. He's saying, you know, I want to draw close to you. I'm even happy to drink from the same thing that you drink from. When you understand the background, it's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? And the fantastic thing is that as we look at this, it reveals something to us about Jesus. It reveals something about the heart of God to us that I hope will be an encouragement to you. What it shows is that no matter who you are or what you've done in life, no matter what you might think about yourself or what others might seem to think about you, Jesus is not shocked. And he will not pull away. No matter what you have done in the past or has happened even in this last week. Jesus knows about it. And he still loves you anyway. He still wants to draw close to you. And be in relationship with you. You don't need to have a mask on with Jesus and try to hide what it is that you've done. Or pretend that you're, that you're someone different than you really are. Because Jesus loves you as you are. That's an amazing truth. It's a fantastic thing. But the fantastic thing is that we have even better news that's here both for the woman and also for us. And that's that Jesus loves us too much to leave us as we are. You know, having asked her for a drink, Jesus goes on to say, if you only knew who it is that asks you for a drink and the gift of God that is available to you through me, then you would have asked me for it and I would have given you living water. This isn't just water that will quench your thirst for a moment. This is living water that will satisfy your deepest longings and mean that you never thirst again. You will be able to stop going through life frustrated and trying to find happiness and satisfaction and acceptance in men time after time after time or in any of a million other things. You will stop going through life as someone who is driven by need. And you will become someone who has true life welling up within you. Overflowing from you. So that you become someone who is more than satisfied in life and you're able to give out to others. Now I hope this encourages you as much as it encourages me. You know, sometimes when... I make mistakes unintentionally and um, I make a mess of things or something even worse when I, I do something that I know is not what God would want me to do. You know, it can easy to start down the road and to question how could God want to work through me and to give out to others through me anymore. But what we see in this encounter is the amazing truth that God isn't just willing to draw near to someone who's made a mess of everything and have a relationship with them and to forgive them which is amazing in itself. But actually, he goes beyond that to work within them so that they become someone who is, is overflows with the life of God to others. You know, if we'll stop trying to satisfy ourselves in the things that the world promises we're going to do the job, but ultimately, if we're honest, always leave us empty very soon. 
and instead look to Jesus to satisfy us. In our encounter with him, he has the power to change everything. He has the power to transform us from being a people who are driven by our need and our hunger to instead overflowing with the life of God and being satisfied in him. But as you read on, you know, in this moment, Jesus has offered the woman at the well such hope and such promise. And you can imagine that, you know, she's just starting to warm to him and the barriers are coming down. And then he goes on to do what must seem like the most insensitive thing imaginable. You know, if you went to, to, to a counsellor or to a, to a friend with your problems and you opened up to them, it's the last thing that you, they, they would probably dare to do. In a moment of vulnerability and openness, he says to her, go call your husband and come back. Suddenly, the whole tone of the conversation's changed. As he cuts to the heart of the issues in her life, it confronts her with all of the pain that she doesn't want to think about. The issues over which she's been rejected and she's an outcast. And you can imagine how instantly the woman's guard would just come up and she would pull away and close herself off, try and protect herself. And so she quickly says, Well, I have no husband. But Jesus doesn't let her off the hook, does he? He says, you're right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're you're with now, you're not even married to. Jesus confronts her with the heart of the matter. He confronts her with the reality of her need. Of the longing that she has in her life that needs to be satisfied. And he makes it clear that if she wants to receive the gift that he has for her, then she first needs to own up and face The fact that all of her attempts to find satisfaction, all of her attempts to to meet that need within herself have just resulted in greater hurt and an even deeper longing within her. The Samaritan woman, though, she's not quite ready to go there yet. And so she tries to change the subject to something safe. How easy is it to do that? When someone pokes you in a place that hurts, you, you try and divert and change the subject. And so she tries to move the subject on something safe and less personal and to talk about religion. And And the amazing thing is that Jesus lets her. And he goes along with it. And then just as she's about ready to leave, and she says, well, this has been an interesting theological conversation, but, you know, the Messiah's going to come along one day, and when he does, he'll explain everything to us. See you later. Bye-bye. Jesus looks her in the eye. And before she can go, he says, I'm the one that you're talking about. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And you can just imagine a jaw dropping to the floor, can't you? As she puts down the water jug. And she looks at Jesus and she just knows he's telling the truth. And her eyes are open and suddenly she realizes what it is that's really on offer. And at just that moment, the disciples turn up. This big group of Jews who want nothing to do with her. And so she drops the jar and she does a runner, goes back to town. But she'd been so impacted by this defining moment, by this encounter with Jesus, that she just can't help herself running through the town telling everybody, you will not believe what has happened to me. This guy has told me all these things in my life. And could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one that we've been waiting for? And, and if we jump ahead to, to verse 39, we read that many of the Samaritans in the town believed in Jesus because of this woman's encounter with him at the well. Now, this encounter with Jesus resulted in a defining moment, not just in the life of the woman at the well, but in the lives of so many people in that town. You know, and Jesus, in just the same way, is wanting to meet with you today. When Jesus talks to to the woman, he talks about uh, the longing to be 
satisfied in life as being like an unquenchable thirst. And, and the reality is that in all of our lives, at some point or another, we've probably all become aware of a thirst within us that needs to be satisfied, of different needs that we have that we want to satisfy. And so often what happens, and I'm going to see how this works. The sand doesn't move very well. But so often what happens is that we set about trying to quench our thirst with, with a little bit of relationship. Uh, and then we go about and we, we try and get a, a satisfy our thirst with a, a little bit of, well, we'll travel and see the world. Uh, we'll, we'll go to all those different, try out all the different experiences that people say are going to do the job. We'll try out all the different fun things that people say that we should have a go at. Oh, and I'll satisfy my thirst with, but I'll get married and we'll have a house and we'll have children. I'll get a good job. And we keep looking to all of these different things to try and satisfy us, hoping that, well, one after the other, the next one didn't work. So maybe the next one will work. Maybe the next thing will work. Maybe the next thing will work. And we go on and on and on. And I want to ask you a question. How much sand does it take to satisfy your thirst? How much sand will it take to fully and and finally satisfy you so that you never thirst again? The truth is that no amount of sand is ever going to quench your thirst, is it? In fact, ultimately, sand is only going to make things worse. And the chances are that if I asked each one of you to stand up and tell me about some of the worst times that you've faced in life, the chapter in your life that you wish you could just go back and redo and make different decisions. Chances are that most of you will probably tell a story which in one way or another involves you having a a longing and this need within your life that you were trying to satisfy, this thirst that you were trying to quench, but you were trying to do it through things which never worked. And instead of actually managing to, to meet your thirst and satisfy you, actually it just made your life more complicated. Actually, it just deepened your need and left you more thirsty than ever before. And the truth is that just like sand, no amount of sin, no amount of trying to live your life in your way instead of God's way is ever going to quench your thirst and satisfy you. No amount of relationships, no amount of stuff, no amount of money, no amount of experiences, no amount of self-esteem, no amount of success is ever going to fully satisfy you. Is ever going to satisfy your need fully. Because you were created with a thirst and a longing for a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And only that can ever fully satisfy you. It's in encountering Jesus that you can truly be satisfied and fulfilled. Now if you can relate to the woman at the well and, and you know that there is a longing within you. There is a thirst within you that you've been trying to satisfy, but nothing seems to work, then Jesus is inviting you today to receive living water, to receive his forgiveness and his love and his grace in your life today. And know that that will change everything. The starting point, though, in that journey for us, like the Samaritan woman, is that we need to stop trying to cover up and hide the truth. Hide it from ourselves or hide it from other people. Stop trying to present ourselves to God and to others as we want them to see us instead of as we really are. And be honest about our struggles, about our mistakes, about our pain, about our hunger and our thirst and our longing. And when we come to Jesus in that way, we don't have to be afraid. 
Because what we see here in this encounter is that Jesus already knows what's going on and he's just waiting for her to fess up. He already loves her and he already loves you. And he is reaching out to us in order that we can receive his forgiveness and new life. And he has it all for us and he wants to truly satisfy us. But first we've got to face up and admit what it is that we've been been doing and the ways that we've been trying to, to look for satisfaction and happiness and meaning apart from him. And if you're willing to admit that you're thirsty and that you've been trying to satisfy yourself in all the wrong places, then in doing that, you are taking the first step to making yourself available to receive God's love and his satisfying grace in your life. You know, if you already know Jesus and you're honest with yourself, then you'll also know, I would imagine, how easy it can be to forget this truth. And to slip back into trying to to find satisfaction and fulfillment out of things in this world that really never truly satisfy you for more than about 15 minutes. And it might be that you're a follower of Jesus and you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. But if you're honest, you've reverted back to old ways of trying to find satisfaction. And deep down, you know it's not working. And you're thirsty. And if that's you, then I want to give you an opportunity this morning. To admit that and to come back to your Heavenly Father. To say that you are looking to Jesus again. To satisfy your thirst, to satisfy your need and that deep longing within you. That you are ready and available and wanting to have an encounter with Jesus this morning. And for that to be a defining moment in your life. And it might be that you're here this morning and you have never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior before. And you've heard the story of Jesus' encounter with the the woman at the well this morning and you, you relate to her. You might not have been married five times, but, but like her, you've been on this search for something. Something that will satisfy, something that will, will satisfy your soul. And yet that longing, that thirst is still there. And you don't have peace in your life that you, that you hear these other Christians talking about, but you want it. And if you're willing to admit your need and to look to Jesus, then he wants to meet you today to come into your life and to give you living water that will satisfy you not just for a moment and then leave you empty again, but will satisfy you for eternity.